from HerbMentor.com. This is Herb Mentor Radio. You are listening to Herb Mentor Radio on HerbMentor.com. I'm John Gallagher. My guest today is Doug Elliott. Doug is a naturalist, herbalist, musician, and storyteller. He has performed and presented at festivals, museums, botanical gardens, nature centers, parks, schools, and conferences from Canada to the Caribbean. A couple notable places being the American Museum of Natural History in New York and the Royal Ontario Museum, and he's even trained rangers at the National Park Service. Doug's written several books and authored lots of CDs, including Woods Lore, Wild Woods Wisdom, Wild Roots, which is a forager's guide to wild edible medicinal roots, tubers, corms, and rhizomes, and most re- recently Swarm Tree of honeybees, honeymoons, and the tree of life. Doug's programs, concerts, and workshops are all listed on his awesome website, and you're going to have to check that out. With um, You really just got to look at all these engaging products and programs that he has at DougElliott.com, and that's Doug, E-L-L-I-O-T-T dot com. Doug, welcome. Thanks. I'm glad to be a part of this program here. Oh, well, thank you very much. And so did you say earlier when I was talking to you earlier today you were going out like mushroom hunting or something today, or what were you doing? <laughs> well, we are always always have our eye out for mushrooms. Yeah? Uh, I was just, I just, it's interesting, I just, just came back from a storytelling program in the eastern part of the state, and on the way back I just, I just saw a little swampy area and a piney woods, and I just thought, oh, I can't, I just can't pass this up, so I made a U-turn and and pulled back and, and found probably the biggest oyster mushrooms I ever found on a fallen gum log, I think. And uh, they were like eight inches across, and they were they were, they were were very impressive. We'd been eating them for two or three days. And then we have a friend over here um, who, who raises Stropharia, the wine cap mushrooms. And uh, he bought the spawn, and he put it in some wood chip beds, and they were producing so lushly that he... Um, he called us up and said, look, I'm going to make my beds a little smaller so I, can, so I don't have to step into them to pick mm-hmm. my mushrooms. If you want to come and get the edges of it, and you can put them in, you can, you can make a chip bed ourselves. So we, so we had some wood chips, and so we just made a chip bed, and we laid this mycelium in there mm-hmm. and, uh, and covered it up, and we're, we have high hopes. Now, should people, if they're, I haven't personally, yeah, there's a couple of kind of mushrooms I know that I, that in my area in the Northwest I picked that, I I was with someone. I, I knew what it was. I, I'm always a little like, uh oh. Like, is is there things people should should people just the first time when they're looking out for mushrooms kind of go with someone who knows what they're doing? <laughs> well, of course, of course, that's the best thing, you know. But <laughs> again, sort of like you say, um, you don't have to know a lot about mushrooms or a lot of mushrooms mm-hmm. to know one or two good ones. Mm-hmm. And and. You know, you know, when I when I first the first time I ever ran into someone who actually knew mushrooms, it was interesting because I was living up in New England, and a, and this friend of mine said this lady came by and asked if she could pick the mushrooms off the stump in front of my house, and uh, I said, did you find out who she was? Did she she knew them? You know, yeah, well, she wanted to pick those mushrooms to eat, and well, I didn't know mushrooms that well. I was like you, a little bit afraid of mushrooms, and mm-hmm. and. Um, and so she said, yeah, it's an Italian lady here, and I got her name. I, I got her number here. So we called her up, and she said, can we bring some mushrooms over, and you tell us if they're good to eat or not? <laughs> and she said, well, sure, I'll tell you what I know, she said. And um, and we we ran out in the back in the woods and just picked every mushroom we could find, part of this whole basket with probably <laughs> varieties of mushrooms, you know. And she kind of went through them, and, 
No, I don't know that one. Don't know that one. Now, I think the Polish eat this one, but we don't. And then, <laughs> I, know, I don't know that one, and I don't know that one. She didn't know any of the mushrooms in the basket, but she just knew these oyster mushrooms. She knew one or two kinds, and because of that, she could eat lots of mushrooms. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's the good news. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so, so with a good field guide, and, you know, it, it always helps to join a mushroom group if you really want to get into it. But um, with a good field guide, you, you know, you can learn three or four that are, that are safe and abundant. Right. It's always an area that's just fascinated me that I just have yet really to spend the time and get into, you know. So I, like I said, as one or like the chanterelles and morels, I, those are easy to identify. You know what time of year, abundant. But other than that, you know, it's... Uh, yeah, and, and, as, and as, you know, and not only are they edible, but of course they're medicinal and they're nutritive and they're immune stimulants. And, and uh, we usually keep, there's, there's a lot of, um, um, we usually keep a few mushrooms in the wintertime particularly simmering on the back, back burner, some of the, some of the uh, Ganoderma, mm. the um, Ling Chi, the, the Rishi mushrooms, which are, which are so valued in, in Asia. And uh, we usually try to keep a, keep a little of that going. It has a slightly bitter flavor, and then uh, often we mix a little chaga, which is a, uh, a mushroom that every Russian knows and grows in on birches in the in the high elevations in, in the north. Oh. And uh, and so we keep those going. And they're, and they're supposed to be. They, they, there's all sorts of data that talks about how they're immune stimulants. Mm-hmm. They stimulate the immune system, and and they're anti-cancer. And so it seems like they taste good. And, and so, so we we kind of party on them when we can. Oh, great! Well, all right. Well, thanks for sharing that with us. Uh, um, that was uh, fascinating when I heard that. I'm like, ooh, that sounds like fun. I want to go. You know. So you're you're there in the uh, Blue Ridge Mountains in North Carolina. Is that right? Yeah, that's true. Are, that's... are you are you from there? I'm originally from Maryland. Oh, okay. And Maryland Maryland has a has a little bit has a little panhandle. It's in the mountains. But I was mostly raised in the Chesapeake region. region. Mm. And um, and it was a great place to grow up because it was sort of before it had turned into an intensive suburbia, mm-hmm. and uh, and there was there was salt water where salt water met fresh water, mm. so there were places where we could go and catch catfish and sunfish, and there's also places we could catch striped bass and bluefish all within all on the you know within a mile or two of each other, and uh, and so it was a great place to grow up, and it was it was um, you know a lot of swamps and a lot of a lot of diversity. Um, so that so that's really um, like because you you know is that obviously is the place where you got your passion for for nature um, and all. And did you have a, a mentor like a, a grandma or a parents that were kind of showed you some tricks and things, or did you just kind of one of those kids that were just out playing and just got bit? Well, I just I always was just like a like a you know I was sort of born with it. Is this passion for for critters and nature and and all that and and my parents thank goodness were were very understanding and my mother let me keep snakes and she really liked it when I brought wildflowers home for the wildflower garden and my dad was an engineer and he could and he he is a very practical guy so he could he you know he knew how to handle boats and he knew about fishing and he knew about you know about wood and woodworking and things like that so so he was he was pretty much supportive of all that plus he was a good storyteller. He was from the deep south. My mom was from the oh. north. They compromised on Maryland. <laughs> I have a strong New England, New England roots, and strong Louisiana and Southern roots too. 
Wow. So the storytelling, yeah, really comes from the southern part of. So that's where I was going. Wondering where your knack for storytelling and is he a musician too? Is your mom a musician or did you? No, just that, that? that not not so much. I mean, he did he did play play drums in the LSU marching band. <laughs> <laughs> but, but um, I'm sort of, I'm sort of a backdoor musician. I play the harmonica. You know, they only have ten holes, and, and <laughs> other musicians have to tune to me, and so. So with that, that works fine. Easy to and, carry around, too. Yeah, yeah, handy to carry, right. That's why I started. I figured if I could carry a tune by whistling, maybe if I had an instrument that was easy to carry as a whistle, maybe I could learn to play it. Now, now, where did you start to, you know, kind of combine this uh, passion for nature and plants with the storytelling? Because I just find that so unique. I when I when I've seen you at the like at the International Herb Symposium last year or watched your video on uh, on your website, we um, I, I uh, you know I just hear that and I'm just like wow you know it's just such a unique voice that you have in teaching and is that just something you kind of stumbled upon your own voice or was that a natural well, thing? I, or? So I think so to to me to me I think think what what hit me I guess we probably should start back there. Um, mm-hmm. um, I, I tried to go to school because I was so interested in the natural world. I tried to study biology and and uh, and uh, and somehow or another they kept saying you had to have chemistry and you had to have math to get a good science degree, and I didn't have a very good head for that, and that was really a struggle. And so I ended up I ended up majoring in art, and then mm-hmm. then I got out of school, and there I was with a with a with a liberal arts degree uh, with an art major. Talk about employable, you know, <laughs> and so so. So I had access to a to an old family house up in New England. My, my grandmother said I could stay there at the at the house if I would just watch over it and pay the land taxes. And so um, so then I realized here I'm an artist trying to make a living, and uh, and as long as I could could not could not spend money, as long as I didn't spend money, then no one would tell me what I had to do, and I would give me as much freedom as possible. Hmm. And uh, and so. So I realized I had to grow a garden and had to just do everything I could to try to supplement my food. And I tried to grow this garden, and all these weeds came up in the garden. And then, and then somebody gave me a somebody gave me a Yule Gibbon stalk in the wild asparagus book, and I realized oh. that the weeds that were in the garden were edible, and that they were a whole lot easier to grow than the vegetables, and some of them were more nutritious than the vegetables I was trying to grow. And that sort of that sort of put a change on me. And then then I realized. So I realized, okay, well, I know most of the birds, and I know most of the trees, and I know most of the butterflies and the reptiles and things like that, but I don't really know all these wildflowers. So I, so I got a wildflower guide, and I started going out trying to just rem, trying to look at the look at the wildflowers. I had a Peterson field guide to identify the flower by mm-hmm. the identify the plant by the <laughs> color of the flower. Mm-hmm. All right, that sounds simple enough. You got a yellow flower, go out there, look in the yellow section. And uh, so I, I can remember being out there in the backyard and just trying to just, trying to look at just the ones that are in bloom. You know, you just, you know, so that so that kind of eliminate limits the limits the field of study. Mm-hmm. I, I was having trouble remembering them. I couldn't remember from one day to the next. I can remember going out there. There was this little flower. I looked it up in the book and like, oh, that's St. John's Word. I remember that name. I looked that up yesterday, right. and I had created no relationship with the plant, mm-hmm. and that I couldn't. Even, but the name stuck. Because it had such an interesting name. Well, then I, I realized, okay, now that's part of the way that I can learn these plants is by starting to understand the names and where the names come from. And then, and then, then I started t- 
talking to any elder, anyone who knew herbs, and in those days particularly, it was the only people that really had a relationship with herbs generally were, were old country people. And, uh, and of course, any of those old country people, any of them that had anything to say about plants, had all kinds of stories about other things, too. And, uh, and once I learned the stories that went along with the plants or whatever aspect of the natural world I was interested in at the time, um, helped me remember it. Mm. And so, so the stories are, are kind of what would give us give us a hook. You know, we we're psychically, our, our 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 human psyche is hooked into stories. That's really how we make sense of our world. You know, all these things happen to you every day. You go out into the world, and all these things happen, and someone says, "Well, what you do today?" Well, when you start telling them, what you're doing is you're telling a narrative. A narrative mm. as old as the human psyche, and so that's sort of how the stories come into it. And of course, I look for. For, you know, that's what I look for is, is for stories or songs that have that have botanical or or um, natural history references. Well, since you uh, mention it, how about uh, I'm just going to pick a plant? <laughs> uh, dandelion got a story song. Stories or songs? Lord have mercy! <laughs> You're a good one. Um, so you know, you've seen those jagged leaves on that plant. Those jagged toothed leaves, the French, they looked at that and they said it looks like the jaws of a lion. <laughs> and, um, and you see those teeth. And so they called it Dent de Lion, right? Tooth of the lion. Mm. And us Americans, we never could speak French very well, so we just called them dandelions. <laughs> and that's how we got the name dandelions from the French Dent de Lion. Now, you may go talk to a modern French speaker and say, look, we heard this guy on, uh, on this herb program, and he claimed that, you, that, 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 that we got the name Dandelion from Dante Leon. That's the name you called him. And they probably say, well, that's the old name for the plant. But what we call them now is Pisanli. <laughs> and Pisanli translates out sort of loosely to mean piss in the bed. Right. And, and what that refers to is the diuretic quality of the dried leaves. Hmm. He wanted a gentle diuretic. Um, you would just take either dried dandelions, make them into a tea, or sometimes they even put them in capsules. You could just take dried dandelion leaves in a capsule, and it's a gentle diuretic. Now, what's interesting about the whole thing is dandelions is one of the most nutritious plants that we have on the continent. It's one of the highest natural sources of potassium. It's high in vitamin A, near the top of the charts, also vitamin C, all kinds of trace minerals in it. And... Uh, and if you go to a physician and the physician says you need a diuretic medication, a regular allopathic physician, um, they, they might give you a medication to, to, that was diuretic, but with that diuretic medication comes a potassium supplement because you've, if you're going to lose a lot of fluid, you have to keep your electrolytes balanced, and the potassium helps you do that. And uh, so here's, here's a plant whose folk name is pee in the bed, and it's, also, and it's a general diuretic, and it's also one of the highest natural sources of potassium. So to me, that's such a lesson, such a lesson that that um, that, that that there it is. You know, it's all kind of in in combination in the natural world. And often, when you take herbs, there's a there's a synergy that happens, and it's a there's a real balance. And you know, you can use standard lines for you can take the roots, and it's like a classic liver liver medication, sort of the, mm-hmm. sort of a liver liver stimulant, liver tonic, and you can. You can uh, blow the seeds. You can make wishes. You can make make salads or um, 
or soups or greens, cooked greens out of the dandelion greens. You can roast the roots and make coffee, dandelion coffee. You can pick the flowers. They have nectar in them, and they also have lots of lots of carotenes in the flowers, and, and you can make dandelion wine out of them. Got and that probably, going. <laughs> what's that? I got some of that going. That going? Well, all right. I wish we could. I wish I was in the studio there with you. We could have a little bit. Um, and, uh, you know, probably the simplest way to to sort of celebrate that would be through a little song. It's by Lisa Atkinson, who's a West Coast person, or has, who was was a West Coast person. And uh, it was something like this. Dandelions, they're my favorite flowers in the sunshine or during a shower. Dandelion, they be popping up everywhere. Well, they don't care. Dandelions, they never take a vacation. They always popping up without invitation. Dandelion, there's always enough to share. Well, I went to the store where the gardeners go to buy me some dandelion seeds. The man behind the counter says, son, don't you know, you don't have to plant them. They grow like a weed. Dandelions, they don't have to be planted. Why does everyone take them for granted? Dandelion, they're special as you and me. Well, you wake up in the morning, you're feeling kind of low. Your get up and go is gone. You need some vitamins, some remedies, some tonic or some tea. Well, look out in your lawn. You got dandelions by the bunch of the bowlful. Eat them all up, they'll make you feel soulful. Dandelion, they're special as you and me. <laughs> dandelions, they're good for your liver. Eat them all up, they make you jump up and shiver. Dandelions, they'll make a long liver out of you. <laughs> dandelions, blow those seeds and make wishes for money, world peace, or lots of sweet kisses. Dandelions, they'll make your wishes come true. <laughs> Woo! All right, we're all clapping. Hear all those people. There clapping. you go. That one had. That was just. That was just <laughs> lovely to have to find that song. That song was recorded on a Gentle Wind recording, and uh, it was a children's album. And uh, and I made up the medicinal verse there to go with it. Because <laughs> when you talk about dandelions, we have to be holistic, don't we? Well, you know, we spontaneously break into song on our mentor a lot, you know, so it fits right in. <laughs> well, good. <laughs> good. You even won a harmonica championship or something once, and you were <laughs> so content. Or Great. So made a good line on the resume, didn't it? <laughs> All right. Made it on there. <laughs> <laughs> when I downloaded the CV, oh well, that's great. That one did get recorded. That's wow, that's great. On is it on? Of, is it on one of your uh, CDs yeah. that you have? That's on? what I mean. It's on. It's on the Bound for Carolina CD, which is the all music CD. Nice, because you also have one like uh, the the Crawdads, Doodle Bugs, and Creasy Greens, and that has Creasy a CD. Greens. And that has a store, a CD, and a book component. What's that's that? Like I, I just love the uh, playfulness, and it's almost like all these are written for all age, all age kids. <laughs> well, that, that that one, that one kind of is. You know, it's something that's suitable to kids, but it's really lots of lots of adult material on it too. And you know, you try to make it so that so that one doesn't exclude the other, and uh, and that you know, it's it it has it has stories about about you know about. Doodlebugs, which are ant lions, and it has it has I found an old song about them, and it has has a has has a lot about creasy greens. Creasy greens are are winter cress. Mm. Um, even out mm. west, you have a you have a uh, I think a Native American cress they call it the mm. Barbaria genus, and um, and uh, 
they're a favorite green in the, in the South. They're like one of the one of the mustard family, and and you know Southerners are really really understand the value of greens, yeah. and particularly with the mild winters, they can grow various kinds of greens all winter. So so that's a really nice thing about about um, being in a Southern climate. Because even though it gets cold and freezing, you can there's lots of hardy greens that can take it, and and wintercress or creasy greens are one of them. That just must be fascinating where you live. I mean, the 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 cult there there just must be so much culture and information and all that you just must find uh, just in where you live uh, as far as herb lore and everything. I mean, well, you, people people sometimes people say, well, so how do you choose this part of North Carolina to to be here? Because I've been here for thirty some years, mm-hmm. and uh, and you know I think in my travels and particularly for a number of years, I. Um, I went to. Um, I used to. I used to just gather herbs, and and I had a Volkswagen van, and I had and I had drying racks in the Volkswagen van. And and for the, those of you who are herb gatherers, you know that that one of the best places to dry herbs, if you don't have any other situation, is in a car with the window cracked open, just enough <laughs> so it doesn't get too hot in there. But uh, but in the summertime, when the sun shines through and gets that little greenhouse effect going in the car, um, that's a great way to dry herbs. So I would dry herbs. I would travel. And I would go to folk festivals, mm. and um, and I would um, and I would set up a, a booth of herbs, teas, and old time remedies, oh. and and it was it was sort of like pre celestial seasonings days, mm. and um, and uh, and so I would make these herb these herb blends, and you know for teas, and people were just starting to get aware that hey, you know, it could be there's there's you know these herbs could be good for you, and plus it gave me a way to reference you know to research these things because. Because by the time I, because these are all would, let's see, I would mostly go to traditional music festivals, and so they would have all kinds of elder folks that were good at music, and many country people, if they know old banjo tunes or old fiddle tunes, they also know a whole lot about the natural world where they live, mm. and uh, and usually by the time it was through, anyone at that whole festival that had anything to say about herbs would come over there and not hear from them by the time it was through, mm. and so so and so. In many ways, that, that gave me gave me an excuse and a way to talk to someone, get to know them a little bit. And can I come and talk to you? Or where do you live? Do you live near here? Can I come and visit? And we talk more about these plants. And so, and many of these festivals were in the southern Appalachians or in the south. And so, so that sort of got me into the area. And then I realized that really we have the pike, the peak, um, sort of an epicenter of biodiversity because mm-hmm. because we have. I mean, uh, you know. In, the Carolinas, for example, I mean, you have you have um, five thousand foot mountains, which is nothing to you all down out west. <laughs> but but um, but at least but they're climbable. There's spruce fir forest on the top of these mountains, and then you can and within within forty or fifty miles, you can go to cotton fields like you'd see in 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 uh, in Mississippi. Mm. So this is all within this within this this tiny range. You know, within within fifty or hundred miles, you can. You can get to a lot of different different kinds of climates, and so so um, so great for biodiversity. And because the mountains are kind of rugged and they were kind of kind of wet and kind of back back in that they were less touched by the by the by the modern world than than a lot of places. And um, and so because of that, there was much a much stronger herbal tradition than you'd find in many places. 
Right. People, even if they weren't didn't know their herbs, they knew if they weren't using the herbs, they knew what grandma used them for. Right, right. Did you, did you have any opportunities to like meet an elder and just have them tell some of their secret stuff? Do they pass on anything that their favorite things? Like, ever have any moments like that? Well, I mean, yeah, I sort of I sort of apprenticed myself to one one wonderful gentleman called named Theron Edwards, who's still around, and uh, and we kind of moved a little little apart physically, but um, I still talk to him regularly and occasionally see him. Um, and he just, he, he was, some people had told me about him. They said he knew a lot about, about plants and made medicines and stuff. And uh, so I went over to meet him, and we did, and we just hit it off great in a really nice way. And at the time, I was pretty much itinerant. He said, I got that old cabin down there. You you know, my wife and I, when we first moved in here, we stayed in that cabin. You could stay in that cabin if you wanted. We'd go to the woods any time we wanted. I just thought, oh, my goodness. I said, what would you charge me? I, he said, oh, well, you know, just help me hold a goat every now and then or something. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I stayed. I stayed there for a couple of years, and and, um, and I still would travel and do my do my circuit. But but it gave me a base, and and I learned a lot from him. I don't know if there's any particular secret secrets, but but um, but I learned a lot of plants from him, and it was just wonderful because because you know we kind of knew the same plants, but he knew them by different names, and he knew lots of uses for them. And and, and would you would you find method wise were they like the remedies more tea or that kind of based or were people doing alcohol infused like did you see something like unique in the area like with remedy making that you hadn't seen in other places or well i see i don't know i don't know if i don't know if his his um his techniques were um mm-hmm. you know were pretty were were any like um i mean he, he basically basically just just basically boiled boiled herbs in water mostly mm-hmm. now and then now and then he put some stuff in in alcohol, but alcohol, you know, sometimes <laughs> that, 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 <laughs> alcohol wasn't always the best thing. So, um, and and uh, he would do things like like there's so there's a little tiny plant called called Virginia snake root, mm-hmm. and it's it's one of the Aristolochias, and um, and it has it has a long tradition. It used to be gathered gathered many pounds of it used to be gathered, and yet when you find the plant. I mean, they're only like you know, a big one would be a foot tall, and um, and you know, and have like ten leaves on it. But most of them just you know just have a few little sprigs with you know five or six or eight leaves on it, and uh, and you dig this little plant up and it has this very aromatic root, but the root is tiny. It's this little. It's you know, it's just this little little cluster of tiny rootlets. I mean, you know, like you could you could stuff it all in a thimble, mm-hmm. and. Um, and you think now, hold oh, they used to gather this by the pound, and um, and he'd say, now this is this is good for a headache. He said, he'd say, and he he said, I always keep a little bit of little bit of Virginia snake root, and uh, and he and he and he had it like in a little film canister or like a little medicine bottle. Yeah. And he'd say, now if you get your headache, you just open this up and you sniff on it. <laughs> <laughs> and so I mean, I guess you call that aromatherapy, you know. <laughs> But, but to me, it's also conscientious herb gathering because you just you you know the plant's not common, and um, and and you and you could and you just you know it'd be, we'd be really kind of destructive to just keep pulling it up and trying to cook it up into something. And um, he he said it would help a headache, and it seemed like I tried it once or twice. It seemed like it helped a little bit. Right, right. Um, right. That was interesting. There was one. There was one herb he called Angelico, and. Um, 
And and I'd heard other older mountain people talk about Angelico. Now it sounds like he's saying Angelica. Uh-huh. And and it's not but it's not Angelica. But he called Angelico. And I even showed him Angelica. I said, Now this is what you're talking about. No, no, Angelico. And uh, and uh, we get that. Now that's just good for everything and, and he would always try to get a mess of Angelico. Well I finally found the Angelico and finally got finally identified it. Found out it was its scientific name is Ligusticum canadensis. And Ligusticum is the same genus as the Western Osha root. Oh. And I realized that this is this you know, this is our eastern Osha. And then when I got out west and I started looking, started to find, finding, finding the roots. I remember being up way high in the mountains in Utah, and seeing this feathery-looking plant and smelling it, and thinking, "This is God. This is ocean. This is amazing. This is it." You know. And then, then going down into southern Utah, and 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 uh, 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 a, a real woodsman was taking me out and around. And he says, "He said, oh, look, here's our osha." And it was a whole different plant. And then I realized that there are lots of species of western osha too. There's different species. They're all ligusticum. Wow. Um, and so to me that was kind of an interesting interesting link because cause here's these plants that are the same genus used by many different cultures across the continent mm-hmm. now and, I'm, uh, I, I imagine that like folks like him were also the link uh, between the Native American uses in the area as right, well right. And, he, and he claimed some Indian roots too he'd say ah, ah, my granddaddy he's Indian uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> that's how I know all this stuff but he also he also attributed other people. He, he had other names, people that showed him how to make different medicines. Oh wow, wow! Yeah, speaking of roots, I just want to mention everyone too that uh, when I first heard of you a while back, uh, when I got your book Wild Roots, and uh, and I'm look, was looking through, and I was and the thing that struck me when I saw it in the bookstore or wherever I bought it, you know, back then when we bought books at bookstores, um, was that, uh, was that. Oh, I never thought to dig them up. <laughs> See what's underneath. Yeah, well, what happened on that? And that was that was during those years, those itinerant years, when I was uh, when I was traveling around, and it just that was just my passion. All of a sudden, when I found out when I found out that you could use all these plants, it just it just blew me away. The idea that you know the the more you study it, the fewer plants you can't find a use for. I mean, it's astounding, and and you know, to me, that just you know, to me, I guess there's this. I guess it's a spiritual quest of looking for points of contact with the natural world. I always, I always say that you know that the best way to understand the Creator is to study the creation, and so that's just been my passion. You know, you know, my, it's my passion, and that's my rationalization for it. And um, and uh, and the idea that you know, not only can you catch these fish, or you <laughs> you know, eat them, or you can go catch a snake and watch it squirm, or you can go look at butterflies, and you can do this, but you, here's these plants, and you can you can you can eat certain ones of them, and you can make medicine out of certain ones of them, and certain ones have fruit, and certain ones will kill you, and certain ones will you know you know you can roll them up and smoke them, you know, <laughs> all these different all these different uses. For 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 these things, so it's more points of contact with this incredible miracle that we're living as a part of, and uh, and so that just that just became my passion was was any plant I could find a use for and anyone who would talk to me about them, and um, and so let's see, so this is all coming around to something here. <laughs> uh, Sorry, uh, take your time. <laughs> um, oh, so the roof, so 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 I ended up I ended up down in the in the in the the southern Appalachian mountains. 
and started talking to these old timers and and oh yeah, it's ginseng. You can find ginseng out in here. And I went out in the woods. I found ginseng. I dug up these roots, and they were so astounding looking. You know, these little humanoid forms, and some of them looked like they were dancing, and some of them looked like they were just these these, these strange forms. And dug up a Solomon seal root, and just was seeing all those old stem scars. It looked like this incredible creeping monster. You know, like some huge worm with all these little little scales and scars on it and all these rootlets sticking out mm. the side. And I just thought, these are so astounding. And I was with that, I was visiting some friends who who at least she was an artist and and um and I'd been had all an art training and so I just started sketching these roots. I put a little light on one side of it, started sketching them and these drawings came out that they kind you, of amazed me. You did me. the I sketches never, too? And um wow. and so the, and then and then I just started draw I draw drew several different kinds of roots and then I thought, no, now what I do? I got these pictures of roots. Well, at the time, I had this herb booth, right, where I had all these herbs and teas and all-time remedies. And I had a friend that was a printer and said, oh, that's what we do. Oh, we make root stationery. <laughs> so, so, um, so, so he printed them up into these little root note cards. And I had about, I had about five or about four or six of them. I can't remember. And um, I put them in these little packets. And I, and I could sell them, you know, along with my herbs and things like that. And then, and then somebody came along and said, oh, these are beautiful. I know a little publisher who would love to do a book about these kind of things. And I said, oh, yeah, right. Okay, well, here, we'll give them a pack of these root cards. Next thing you know, a letter came in the mail and said, back when we wrote, used to write letters, said, you know, we understand you're an expert on roots. How would you like to do it? We sell your drawings. How would you like to do a book for us? I was astounded. I figured by the time I wrote a book about roots, I would be an expert on roots. <laughs> And uh, and so that 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 was um, that gave me credibility at a very young age, and well, not very well, relatively young age. I think it still was before I was thirty that book came out. But but you know, with my lifestyle not being relatively homeless and living in a Volkswagen van with with jars of herbs, it you know it gave me a little more credibility to have this book. <laughs> and, and you know, the only thing that happened is it came out. It was originally it came out in nineteen seventy six. That means this book has been out. It's still in print 30 years later. Can you believe that? And uh, and and the only thing is, it, it, when it first came out, it was called Roots. And it came out the same year as Alex Haley's book. <laughs> People go, oh, you wrote a book. Oh, what's it called? Oh, never mind. <laughs> and nobody ever, nobody ever asked me for a movie, movie rights to my book. I guess the plot was a little thin, you know. Um, no, no, no. It was just too dirty. Get it? <laughs> yeah, too dirty. <laughs> yeah, sorry. sorry. That's right. <laughs> too, too underground. It's too underground. Oh, we could come up with puns all day on this. Yeah, well, that was good. I never heard that one all this time. <laughs> hey, leave it to me. There you go. Put this whole interview just for that. <laughs> oh yeah, it is great. Uh, but thinking of roots, like, uh, well, I'm just kind of thinking roots, and uh, I don't know. I'm kind of always had this picture of the. Folks that you know living in that area, a lot of tonics and things like that. Was uh, um, like any kind of the people kind of brew their own root beer out of roots they dug up in that area too before the you know the sugary stuff kind of came out. Was that, well, you know let's of, see. Or I always think of, always oh, fascinated by traditional root beer recipes and where that all came from and, and all. Uh, let's see. I would think. Yeah, I don't think there was. You know, I think people would make certain teas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, like, 
But when it came to brewing, they were generally interested in alcohol. Right, right, the stills. And, um, <laughs> and then, you know, but of course, of course, you know, and, and here's the other thing, you know, okay, so Grandpa living way back up in his cabin, way up there in the mountains, uh, you know, off the grid, before, <laughs> before we had a term grid, um, living out there, and, he, and, he, and he, he, he needs to have some medicine, he needs to have some tonics, he's getting older, Needs to have he needs to have any kind of strengthening tonic he can. So he goes out and he gets him a little ginseng, gets him a little wild cherry bark for his throat, gets him a little bit of golden seal or or yellow root for his for a little bitter tonic for his stomach. Um, brews some of these herbs all together, brews them all up, make a tea. He wants to sip a little out of every now and then. Well, now, now, you know, take a place without refrigeration. And how long is that brew going to stay good if you leave it sitting on the counter? You know, it'll stay good for a day or three at the most. But if it's warm weather, that's going to ferment. It's going to get it's going to get kind of sour and get kind of kind of nasty. So Grandpa just you know pours a little bit of white liquor in that. All right, now that'll keep it from souring. And of course, anyone who's ever made an herbal tincture knows knows that the thing about an herbal tincture is that certain medicinal agents in the plant are water soluble and other medicinal aspects of the plant are alcohol soluble and so if there's some alcohol and water in the brew that you're making you're more likely to get a stronger medicinal dose out of that Mm -hmm. so and a little bit of liquor makes you feel better sometimes Mm -hmm. and so to me what what that is is a real celebration of realizing that hold it that um that this this everything about this works and you know many and that's why the folk processes you know can be so successful and why they've why they're so long lasting right right why they've stuck around all these years you know and so but, but, but so there you go so that and so a lot of times people would would put you know various kinds of roots and things and put them in with some with some alcohol and um and that would that would preserve the roots and also make a make some some medicine they could take and uh, that would work out good. A friend of mine, he went. <laughs> this, this one fellow I know, he got he, when he when he started realizing you could make herbal tinctures and all like that. He just thought that was exciting, so he went and he found the local moonshiner, and he got some he got some moonshine, and he just started brewing up all these things. And he was so excited about all these different brews. He'd brew he'd brew yellow root tinctures for stomach medicine, and then and then he doing some, and, and then he started doing mint tinctures. He did get. Mm-hmm. Put alcohol over over a bunch of mint. He says, "He says I call it corn to mint." Everything to mint. So anyhow, just a little local corn there. Oh, that's great. So I'm imagining another another plan. I'm, I mean, I'm thinking you're you're doing a lot of these uh, you know storytelling gigs, and you're out there and. And uh, I'm thinking that if you're going up and down the East Coast, now we don't we don't really have any growing where I live right here because it's a little too wet. But I'm imagining you you're, you talk about uh, our uh, our friend Poison Ivy quite a bit, huh? Oh yeah, so, yeah. So, well, yeah. You know, um, yeah. I guess you got poison oak out there, right? We have no, no. You know, we just have nothing. Uh, we can go. You can go to the other side of the mountains, and it's dry, and we you have it, and you can go down into maybe into Oregon and find some, but up in western Washington, it's just too wet. Oh, I tell you, land, oh, it's just such clean living up there. <laughs> we had no poisonous snakes either. Poisonous <laughs> no chiggers. I don't know what y'all do for recreation up there. Must oh, be cougars, rough. cougars. 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 <laughs> <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah. 
well, there you go. We I guess our big man-eaters are mosquitoes. You know? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, he's supposed to have a cougar or two around here, but I don't know. Um, um, so let's see. So, so what was oh, so poison ivy, yeah, yeah. poison ivy, poison oak. I guess, I guess. Um, I was reading in the um, in Yule Gibbons' book one time. He said that the West Coast loggers would go out in the in the spring of the year. They're working out in these in these in these poison oak thickets, and and what they do is they go out in the spring of the year and they just grab a tiny little bud when it just the little bud is just forming and they eat it. Next day they eat another one. Next day they eat another one. The next day they start the leaves start to come out. They eat a little tiny leaf and then another little tiny leaf, and then until by the by the middle of the summer they're eating a big cluster of the leaves and it would immunize them. And um, and so. So I did that. I tried that. And I used to get poison ivy, and I don't anymore. Hmm. And uh, that was, I was pretty excited that, that I really wasn't getting it. And, in fact, you know, my family even will say, well, you know, come will you weed that poison ivy out of the trail there, and I'll just take it. In fact, I was just doing that today, um, pulling poison ivy with my bare hands. And, and you know, again, I'm, I'm sort of respectful of it, and I don't, I don't flaunt it, but um, I don't seem to get it much. And um, and I told a few a couple of friends of mine. I had this one friend that was very sensitive to poison ivy, and and um, and uh, when my friends tried it, they cut one of them ended up in the hospital with systemic poison ivy. It's a former friend of mine, and uh, and uh, so so um, you know maybe you know maybe I was at the end of a end of a sensitivity cycle, and um, and maybe maybe them that need it the most it doesn't work for. Um, so I think that, that what I recommend for most people, particularly people that are highly sensitive to poison ivy, they should probably, probably just, um, I'll probably work with the homeopathic dose, which is the Rustox, um, which is a homeopathic remedy, which is, you know, sort of a non, has the essence of poison ivy in it without the poison ivy, something like that. And, uh. So that's that's that seems to be the way. Some people go, well, what good is this plant? That you know, you see some little kid all blistered, and, you know, oozing, itching, irritated, and red, and think, why? Why is what? What good is this plant? Well, it turns out that it, the berries and all feed all so many kinds of birds in the wintertime, and they're really hot, really very nutritious. The birds don't seem to have a problem with it. I've seen woodpeckers and bluebirds eating it. The deer browse on it in the spring. Some people say you let your goats browse on it and then drink the goat milk, and that'll that'll immunize you. Hmm. Um, but you know, now now I'm 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 thinking if if you don't have a song for poison ivy, you must have one for an, another song you like to sing about some other. <laughs> really, you want a, one little verse of that? <laughs> he comes on like a rose. Dent, 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 dent. You guys do the dent, to dent part. Okay, okay. Comes on like a rose. Dent, 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 dent. Everybody knows. Dent, 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 She'll get you in Dutch. Dent, dent, dent. You can look, but you better not touch. Poison ivy, poison ivy. Late at night when you're sleeping, poison ivy comes a creeping around. Ha, 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 ha. We don't need to go to the whole song. <laughs> that was 1955, The Coasters. Oh, really? <laughs> yes, great. When I was a little kid, I remember hearing them sing that. Oh, and who, so who, would, have, who would have thunk it? <laughs> there you go. There you go. Ethnobotanical, you know? Ethnobotanical, uh, whatever kind of style music they were uh, 
No botanical <laughs> top forty. That, that's no botany there. Yeah, another <laughs> top, another top forty song. In fact, I did this this weekend at the storytelling festival. There I was. I had a had like about a fifteen minute slot. Sometimes it's hard to tell a fifteen minute story because you, you want to. I, I rather I'd rather tell an hour long story than a fifteen minute one, but um, just because it gives you more time to develop things. And, mm-hmm. and I was walking around the ground. It was at this beautiful old old plantation, and and um, and there was there was pokeweed coming up. And, uh, you know, pokeweed is actually considered by some, by, in some sources, considered to be a poisonous plant. But in the South, when it first comes up out of the ground, it's considered to be edible. Hmm. And, uh, and it's edible and delicious. And, but it's usually cooked, it's processed in a couple of different waters. And, uh, and the, the root is considered to be toxic, but, but, um, but used by herbalists in tiny amounts in a tincture form as a lymphatic, as a lymphatic um, um, detoxifier or cleanser, and um, and there was there was there was a song recorded by Elvis Presley celebrating pokeweed about a young about a young girl who who would go out and it was written by Tony Joe White who was a sharecropper's son. He's one of the swamp rockers in the sixties. Uh, and, and, wow. and, and he he. He wrote a song celebrating poke salad. So that's what I, that's what I did as part of my part of my 15 minute routine. Is I went and picked a few plants and told stories about the plants, and uh, and uh, poke salad, and then and then and and the song that sort of came out came out something like this. <laughs> Down in Louisiana, where the alligators grow so mean. <laughs> there lives a girl. I swear to the world, she makes them alligators look tame. <laughs> Poke salad, Annie. Poke salad, Annie. Gator got your granny. And then your part is Gator got your granny. <laughs> Everybody thought it was a shame, but her mama was a working on the chain gang. Mean, vicious woman now. <laughs> so every evening about supper time, Annie come down to my truck patch. Pick herself a mess of poke salad. Carried on home in a tow sack. Poke salad, Annie. Poke salad, Annie. Gator got your granny. Gator got your granny. Everybody thought it was a shame, but her mama was working on the chain gang. Mean bitch woman now. <laughs> and there's other verses about her, no count brothers and all that. But um, basically, it was about this about this southern girl, the neighbor of Tony Joe, when he was raised up, and and uh, and she basically kind of held that family together by. Um, by uh, by gathering wild greens and things like that, she'd come around the edge of the garden patch and just just pick all the old wild pokeweed, That'd take it fast. back, cook it for the family. That'd just be fascinating—a whole uh, CD of uh, herbal folk, you know, like that. Like, uh, there's another project for you, or is that? Or well, did that? Or did you do that already? <laughs> well, I mean, there's, there's a lot of it on a lot of my CDs. Right. <laughs> I thought about it. Wow. So you know, let's move. Let's uh, move on to um, the most recent. Uh, project that you have out um, Swarm Tree of Honeybees Honeymoons and Tree of Life now uh, so well what 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 about that what's the tree you know where, where, you, where why did you come up with that book and where's that well I guess I guess um, I, I let's see I guess it just it just was a was an accumulation of you, you know you, you spend enough time in nature you know that some so many different things are so sort of sort of inspiring and and um and sometimes, sometimes epiphanies come with it all, and so I would just sort of write about these things, and it's a sort of a collection of these kind of writings. I mean, just, just um, the book starts off with, 
me up in a, uh, with me uh, climbing up in a tree on my the year that I turned 50. I was 50 feet up in this tree, and that's when 50,000 bees fell on my head. And uh, and, and I, I was up there trying to catch a swarm of bees and trying to catch them, but but I shook the tree at the wrong time, and they just landed on my head, and then I and then the swarm all flew off and kind of left me there in this tree, contemplating the absurdity of human endeavor. <laughs> <laughs> And I used that as a vantage point from which to look out over my little homestead and look at my wife out in the garden and my son playing with her and playing around out there and watching all the activities and thinking about, so where am I? Here I am, halfway between heaven and earth, halfway between birth and death, and and um, and what a place to look at look at the world. And then then I sort of sort of go into different things, trying to look at looking at beehives and starting to realize that they're kind of metaphorical for human society in some ways, and and then going from there to oh you know to um, to to what kind of what kind of um, kind of spiritual you know type type lessons can you learn in nature and just just things that have kind of worked for me. Hmm. Am I like, one, like one time one time I was. I had a group of about oh a dozen people, something like that, and uh, and we were we were on a we were in northern northern uh, Indiana. We were walking walking down by this lake, and and um, and uh, and we and we came into this little patch of trees, and uh, the trees had large tropical looking leaves with the little drip tips on there, mm-hmm. and they um and and. Uh, and we looked, and you know where, oh, where was Ranger Doug's herb walk? Oh, where, oh, where was the Ranger Doug's herb walk? Oh, where, oh, where was the Ranger Doug's herb walk? We were way down yonder in the pawpaw patch. And you know, the pawpaws are America's largest native fruit. And they're the, they're the one tropical, one one the one northern member of a tropical family of plants. There's all these other plants down in the tropics. Maybe some of some of you or some of your some of your listeners have been down into the tropics and tasted the maybe on the Caribbean islands you tasted the soursop or down in Latin America you tasted the cherimoya or the guanabana. And uh, but here in Noble County, Indiana, we were about to get a taste of the tropics. And we weren't exactly filling our pockets with pawpaws, but um but we found one perfectly ripe pawpaw, and now even though even though some pawpaws grow to be more than a pound in size, this one was more like a little stubby cucumber, about three or four inches long. And uh, but I smelled it, and I could just tell it was ripe. And so I had a little a little bark backpack, and I laid that down, used it as a cutting board, and I thought we got these thirteen people here, all of us together, and I get enough slices out of it. So I slice this pawpaw down. And um, and sure enough, I thought I got enough slices, big black seeds in there. I kind of cut around the seeds. And I passed them out, and we all had a piece of this pawpaw. And we were sort of transported by the, the creamy succulence, the tangy sweetness of this fruit. We were sort of, tra- it was like almost like mind-altering. And, you know, it must have been a little bit mind-altering because, because I sort of, voices sort of came to me, and I, Felt like I was some kind of minister who'd been in, like, like in church or something, and I, and I found myself words like, "Take, eat. This is my body, which is given to you. Do this in remembrance of me." 
And I thought, those are words that I'd heard in church. Those, are, those were Christ's words from the Bible. I think it's Luke 22, 19, 2019. And more words started to come in there. But here in this Indiana banana patch, they were just coming on strong, and these more words kept coming on, like, like whosoever believeth in this shall not perish, and they shall have everlasting life. And I realized that this is the message of the Creator, of the Earth Mother, of the of God, whatever you want to say. This is the, this is the message that 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 every bite, every nibble, every meal we eat, every time we drink, every berry we nibble is a is a gift of creation, is a part of the body of the Creator. And I realized that that every time we sniff a flower, nibble a berry, eat a meal, have a drink that we are partaking in a sacred sacrament. And let me tell you, that was quite a pawpaw. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for sharing that. That is. That's, yeah, I've yet to uh, try a pawpaw off the tree like that. So, wow. You know, I'll Doug, learn uh, something if you choose to remember. Those pawpaws get ripe around the middle of September. A short forest tree with leaves soft and green, the fruit soft and creamy, a custard like cream with a um, pawpaw, two pawpaw, three pawpaw, four. I've eaten so many pawpaws, can't eat anymore. <laughs> awesome. The songs go on, you know. Well, Doug, you know, I just want to point out to everyone again that your site, DougElliott.com, has a list of programs and workshops, concerts, whatever you can give. Also, um, upcoming events you'll be at. So please, everyone, go there as well as check out the books and CDs. And as always, on Herb Mentor Radio, we say support your herbalist. Go to their websites and buy the stuff. So go to DougElliott.com. Before you go anywhere else, check it all out there. And Doug... I just want to thank you so much for spending time with us. It's been a real honor, a real treat, and I can't wait to see you at uh, maybe the next International Herb Symposium or next time I'm back east. Yeah, I'm due to be there, I think. Oh, yeah. It's kind of in. All right, well, great. I'll be there, too. And then if you go there yourself, folks, you can go and get a book from Doug and have him sign it for you. <laughs> All right. Thanks a lot, and we'll see you there. Take care, man. Herb Mentor Radio on HerbMentor.com is a production of LearningHerbs.com. Visit LearningHerbs.com for free herbal lessons, including Herb Mentor News, Home Remedy Secrets, and Supermarket Herbalism. You'll also find the Herbal Medicine Making Kit and our board game Wildcraft. Herb Mentor Radio, copyright LearningHerbs.com, all rights reserved. Thanks so much for listening.